with this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Have a seat. God bless you. And at home, you can sit back on the lounge in your Ugg boots, as Eleanor was saying. Eleanor's got to think about the Ugg boots. She's mentioned that a few times. So you can wear them at church. I mean, for a while, I thought Ugg boots were all trendy. Hollywood stars were wearing them. It's probably 10 years ago. They'll come back. They'll make a comeback, though. Do you remember, who's old enough to remember when we had long Ugg boots with leather straps and we wrapped them around and we went out in our Ugg boots? We used to go to all kinds of places publicly in our Ugg boots. We thought they were cool. There's some going way back. I'm talking late 70s. <laughs> Long hair, the Jesus revolution. We all want to be hippies. It was either Ugg boots or bare feet. And uh, now, uh, back to the Bible. I'm glad you're here. And uh, I want to talk, uh, continuing about the, uh, the, the culture of God's kingdom. And uh, Blessing uh, designed this great screen. Blessing was drumming. Oh, there he is. Give him a clap. Bowing out. Look, you've driven him away. Um, So uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 11 says, May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. Well, we could just stop there for an hour and talk about that. That's pretty cool. Gratitude and joy, (laughs) they go together, don't they? But we're going to move on. He, the Lord, has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For, watch this, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. (laughs) So there's mention of two kingdoms. Now, it's not easy. Sorry, I should say it's not hard. It's easy to see the kingdom of darkness around us in the world today. Uh, Wherever the devil gets to rule and reign, and because of sin, that occurs uh, all over the world. That's the kingdom of darkness. And uh, the culture of our world reflects the devil's input and the effects of the sins of people. And so there is very much this realm or reign of darkness. The Bible calls the devil the God of this age, but it's only a little G. It's not God. He's not all powerful at all, but he is given power and then there is darkness and there is terrible stuff that goes on. However, in Christ, we've been rescued from that kingdom. We've been transferred. We've been given a new citizenship, a new place to live, a new king, a new ruler, and we have a new culture that goes along with that, a new way of living, and we call this kingdom culture, and that's what we're looking at over the next few weeks, some of the distinctives of God's kingdom's culture and how that differs to the culture of the world around us. And we're not just doing this as an interesting study, Because we want to grow, we want to live for God's glory. And if we can understand this more and step into what it 
means to live in God's kingdom culture, then we can do what he wants us to do, which is to be an influence. We can recognise the influence of the world. We can recognise how God's kingdom, and Michael shared brilliantly over communion about this, that God's kingdom is to input and influence into the culture of the world around us. And of course, the church is called to do this. The church is not in itself the kingdom of God. But the church is called to be a community that operates under the rules of the kingdom of God or practices a lifestyle that is influenced by the kingdom of God. And so, and in doing so, we advance the kingdom of God when we flow with that culture, yeah? And so last week we talked about love, which is uh, just emanating from God into everything and everyone in the kingdom of God. And today I want to talk about generosity. Now, generosity is, of course, not only found in the kingdom of God, just as love is understood and experienced in the world around us. So there are plenty of generous people who wouldn't necessarily call themselves Jesus followers. You could, excuse me, you can get, uh, you know, philanthropically minded business people, uh, charity workers, volunteers, people giving themselves, giving their time and energy uh, in a selfless way. But whether they realise it or not, they are actually exhibiting traits of God's kingdom because we are all made in the image of God. And generosity is a foundational principle that flows into God's kingdom. And even though we are flawed uh, sinners, even when we're not walking with God, we will reflect the way we're made, the, the, the imprint of our maker. And, uh, and so you can find examples, as I said, of generosity in the world. But you'll also find plenty of examples of selfishness, of stinginess, of holding on rather than letting go and giving away. And, uh, and that is very different to the culture of God's kingdom, which uh, is founded on generosity, a value that flows into everything that's done, a character trait that God, of course, himself carries and, uh, and exhibited in sending Jesus to earth. Because what's the most well-known verse in the Bible? John 3.16, which says, God so loved the world that he what? Gave his one and only son so that if anyone believes in him, we won't perish, but we'll have eternal life. There's the, the gospel summarized, if you like, in that verse. And so God loves us so much that he gave, he gives. And, and, and so God is a giver, God is generous. Love leads to giving. Generosity is part of loving. And God's got this extraordinary, uh, extravagant, level of generosity because he gave what was most precious to him, Jesus, and Jesus gave when he was here on earth, gave his energy and life and of course gave his life literally as a sacrifice for us. So that, that shows the standard of generosity in God's kingdom. And often, you know, in the world that we're living in, when people talk about generosity or talk about giving, they don't really understand what it what it really is all about, what God's standards are. For example, with money, the media freak out over churches when they find out that people tithe and bring 10% of their income 
into the house of God. And you see this sometimes, and, you know, the Hillsong cop it a lot because they're so well known, but, you know, the newspapers or the media will jump on and they'll say, and they'll zoom in on their news reports of offering bags and and these 10 percenters and these people are driven it's like a cult and they're expected and the you know and they make out that it's this terrible demand on people and little do they know that's only just the beginning when people tithe 10 percent wow they don't seem to get on the fact that people give a lot more than that that we just consider the tithe gods we return it to him that's kind of a base level and then we step into being generous you know um but they make out this is such a terrible thing and it's, it's a shame because they, they just don't understand. Uh, and of course here, you know, we believe that's a great principle, but there's no expectation, there's no demand, there's no control. Uh, what they don't understand is that it's a blessing that, that when, you know, we, we give and we receive, that in God's kingdom it's just a, a pathway or a doorway into a life of blessing and provision and, you know, wonderful blessing from God. And... Uh, and yet, people will think, oh, they're being generous if they just throw a few coins into the Sally's box at the shops or buy a $5 raffle ticket at the rugby and really they just want to win the meat tray, but they'll feel, you know, oh, oh I bought a raffle ticket. You know? And so that's very easy for us to have that influence on our lives and, uh, and feel a little challenged or rankled when God's level or standard of generosity comes to play. But we want to lean into that. And I don't want to just talk about money today. In fact, I don't think I'll mention money again. Our financial giving does reflect our understanding of generosity. But we're talking about a culture, a lifestyle of generosity that goes way beyond just what we do with our money. It affects every part of our life. And what I want to do is look at the life of Peter. I want to particularly look at three incidents in his life that reveal how he... Uh, adopted this kingdom culture of generosity and adapted to the standard of generosity that God was calling him to. And I love Peter, I guess we all do, because he's so human. There's quite a lot of him in the Gospels. He stands out. Uh, his his uh, flaws are there to be seen. Uh, his humanity is, is, you know, he's a type A, loud kind of character, and we love him. Uh, for the fact that he's a bit of an idiot sometimes and we go, oh, phew, if there's hope for him, <laughs> hopefully there's hope for me too. Um, and God was still able to use him in spite of his failings. So uh, look with me firstly at Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Excuse me. I'm getting hot. And uh, thanks, Frosty. Okay, hopefully that's, I've got no more layers to come off after this one, so I don't know. If I get too hot, then you're just going to have to handle it. I'm just, I'll keep the pants on, I'll just, you know, it's all right, settle down. Um, praise the Lord. Um, I'm just thinking of, of Undy's man. But. Okay, is anyone else too hot? Can we, do we need to adjust the... Okay, so Matthew 4, verse 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter. So when I say Peter, he was Simon Peter. And his brother, Andrew, uh, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. They were fishermen. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people, or I will make you fishers of men traditional rendering. 
Now you'd think it's going to say, and after that there was a conversation. What do you mean, follow me? Who are you? What, what do you mean by being fishers of men? We'd like to follow you, but I've, I've got a big contract. Um, can, we, can we just do it on Sundays or Saturday, Sabbath or part-time? It just says, and they left their nets at once and followed him. Come on, that's pretty radical. You might have read that a million times and it sort of washes over you, but just stop for a thing. That, they gave up everything instantly to follow Jesus. This is giving. This is a sacrifice. They've given up their livelihood, their stable source of income. And by all accounts, they were successful fishermen. They had a good business going and yet they were happy to walk away from it because of the call of God. And, and so they were jumping right into the culture of God's kingdom, which says my life is no longer my own. I'm giving it to God. I'm just laying it all down. I'm surrendering it all. What I have is God's, there it is. I'm just, I'm giving the whole kitten caboodle. I don't know what a caboodle is, but you know, we say that, it's just giving everything. You can have the kitchen sink. I'm just, and, and whatever I have, I am just a steward. I'm just a manager. It's all God's. And this is a radically different outlook or culture or way of living to the world around us, which, you know, I mean, the context of our lives is very different today to Peter's, but the principle applies to us all, that when we follow Jesus, the questions we've got to ask is, are we willing to give up everything? Will I really, truly surrender my life into his hands? Or am I doing some kind of deal? You know, what does it look like in my life and in your life to surrender all, to leave it all, to give it all? Would, would, would I be willing to sacrifice my career if God called me to do something else? Would you be willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads you? You know, would you or could you give up everything? Or are there some things that you hold on to? Is there some conditions that you've placed, therefore, on your relationship with God? Well, that's really the, the culture of the world that says, I'll give up to a point. I will put some boundaries or conditions on my commitment. But kingdom culture is kind of radical in our commitment, our giving, our generosity of our life to God. Because, you know, let's face it, the culture of the world says me first. I got to look after myself, you know, numero uno. It's like, well, I just, I, I, I'd like to help you. I'd like to serve God. I'd like to follow you, Lord. But, you know, let's face it, I, I'm... There's a culture that says, I've got to check that I'm okay. That's my baseline. And then if I've got anything left over, you can have that. You can have Sunday mornings, but that's it. Or you can, you know, have this gift, but not all of them. Or I can do that, but only with these conditions. Or I just, and the stuff that I've got, well, it's mine. And I'll just give little bits of it here, there. And that's, that's different to God's kingdom because his culture says, Lose your life in order to find it. Don't try and hold on to it. You'll eventually lose it. And, it and, and the culture of the kingdom calls us to surrender and submit to God's call. And of course, he blesses us and he doesn't require us all to sell everything, go on a plane, live in the middle of the deepest, darkest Africa and be missionaries and die of malaria. But some have. And they're in heaven, in glory, having a great time. And they're glad they did. 
because that was God's call for them. C.T. Studd, what a great and amazing story. You know, so many missionary stories, but his one stands out because he was so wealthy. Uh, you read his story, you know, he was part of a very wealthy family and, uh, and he gave it all away. Now, of course, we don't have to necessarily give it all away, but we have to be willing to give it all away. And God often blessing lets us maintain a level of blessing and like I said, it doesn't require us to, but there's a willingness that, that shakes us out of a selfish, materialistic way of living and shifts us into a different paradigm, a different mindset that says, oh yeah, look, this is not really mine. It's the Lord's. I'm just here for a while looking after this thing, house, car, material, you know, this job. All the, God gives me the power to make, the Bible says, God gives us the power to make wealth. It's, it's all his, even the abilities I have. I can't lay any great claim to them being mine. It's all God. Which I'm just dust made by the Lord to serve him for the time that I've got. And that's an attitude that Peter kind of launched into. Just went, wow, okay, obviously the grip, the call of God, I mean, it would make it a little easier if Jesus was physically right in front of you. You know, we've got to step into a spiritual realm and connect with him. And they obviously felt this incredible anointing on him, boom, and just followed right there. So Peter launches into this new way of living, of trusting God for provision, of giving his life in service for God. Uh, and so that's the, the baseline of generosity, just that understanding of my whole life is available for God. I'm giving it to him. But of course, Peter then learns along the way how this looks, this kingdom culture that he's called to. And, uh, and you see that played out. For example, let's look at another passage when he asks Jesus a simple question in uh, Matthew 18, verse 21. And it says that Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Or some translations say 77 times. But, but either translation, it, it, it doesn't mean one specific number. It doesn't mean that after 490 times that you can start holding on to grievances all over again. It, 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 it was a figure of speech Jesus used. Uh, so the issue is not one of arithmetic in the head, but an issue of the heart that keeps forgiving way beyond what we can remember or what we can count. And, uh, and so this matter of forgiveness is part of generosity. It's a, it's, it's a reflection of a a lifestyle of giving because um, in the culture of the kingdom, we're called to give and to forgive, you need to give. You need to give of yourself. We, we use the phrases, um, oh, give him the benefit of the doubt or give them another chance or give it up or give in to them. And these are all requiring something in our heart to give to that, that person who maybe doesn't deserve it. We, we, we feel quite the opposite and the culture of the world says, don't give, take. Take offence. Hold on to that hurt. These words and verbs and phrases talk about keeping and holding on and, uh, and taking. Oh, I'm taking issue with that guy. I'm holding on to that hurt. And, and this is the opposite of God calling us in his kingdom to give. 
And, you know, I can remember the, sorry, I can imagine um, the backdrop to Peter's little conversation that we don't know exactly what was going on, but you can just imagine Peter's been doing life and close quarters with the disciples. So my guess is that it's probably the rub of life with one of the other disciples or some of them. Peter's a type A kind of guy and uh, he's probably not just naturally the most flaggy, easygoing, cruisy guy. Oh, whatever, you know. He's probably got someone doing something that, you know, when you first meet someone, you think, oh, that's a cute idiosyncrasy. You know, oh, yeah, that's cute. You know, after a while, it's like, oh, the habit really gets to me. It's annoying, you know. And so maybe one of the guys snores or picks his nose, or doesn't eat the way Peter was raised, or just some little habit. Or, or maybe it is something that's really quite offensive. Someone's hurt him and done something. Uh, but I suspect it's probably just a little thing. And he's counting. He's like, I've forgiven you six times. I reckon you've got one more. And I'm going to go to the Lord and get some input on this. So he's probably wanting a figure from Jesus. He's like, okay, how many times have I got to forgive? Seven? Because I'm, I'm up to six, and I'm thinking, you're going to tap out at ten, surely. He's hoping Jesus is going to say... Seven, well, that's very impressive, Peter. I would say eight. All right, ten maybe. If you're really gracious, forgive them ten, ten times, and then let them have it or walk away from the relationship or smack them around. You know, that's what Peter wants Jesus to hear. Jesus says, just let it go, Pete. Just keep seven, 70 times, 770 times. Oh, really? Because the culture, the kingdom, it's like the movies. You know, we watch the movies it starts off, the hero, he's normally an ex-CIA agent that doesn't want to kill people anymore and he's just living this quiet life. It's Keanu Reeves, it's Denzel Washington, it's some cool guy, you know. And then some evil person who doesn't know who they're messing with does something. They kill his dog, I think Keanu, you know, had his dog killed. And then all hell breaks loose and then it's like, yeah. And the whole movie is all about revenge. And we tap in and it's like, get him Clint Eastwood or whoever it is and the whole movie and they take down, you know, like, um, you know, I have a certain set of skills, uh, you know, that guy, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, the cool guy, yeah, Liam, you know, the cool dude and they're always, they're always cool, aren't they, you know, I mean, back in the day it was Sean Connery and, you know, they're, they're not like, they're never angry, it never looks cool, it's like, I'm going to get you, it's like, oh, really cool, you know, but the point is they always get revenge and we, we, we kind of like that. And, and it taps into the base nature of humankind, which entertains and they sell a lot of money. They get, they get a lot of money selling a lot of movies like this. But unfortunately, it, it's, it's falling way short of God's glorious standards. God's standards, his ways are higher than our ways. And he brings peace. And he doesn't create more conflict and war. He solves issues. He brings justice, but he, but he brings love that covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't sound like a great Hollywood blockbuster. It just stops, the movie stops right at the beginning. Terrible thing, you killed my dog. <gasps> I forgive you. Really? Yeah. Okay, it was really bad. I'm so sorry. I repent. Wow, I'll never do that again. I'm sorry. Okay, end of the movie. It lasted 10 minutes. <sighs> Everyone to go out saying, well, that's a real, I wanted Kiliano to kill those guys. Yeah, well... So here's Peter's conundrum. He wants to, you know, and Jesus says, forgive. Just keep forgiving. It's the kingdom of God. It's the culture of the kingdom. And so you can just feel Peter's challenge there, but obviously he's called to that and he's got to keep growing in that. And let's face it, forgiveness, let me just say this. It's a big issue for some people. I can remember when I was younger, I remember hearing the pastor preaching about forgiveness, thinking, what have you done? 
Like, you know, you, there's something going on here. You're talking about forgiveness a fair bit. Well, I just hadn't been in any position of leadership. But you step up and start leading and doing things and not everyone will be happy. And some people will have a go and say and do stuff that can be hurtful and painful. And I think as we go on, we've probably got more and more situations or people that really have hurt us. And it's not as simple. You know that phrase, forgive and forget? It's kind of not that simple and easy uh, sometimes. It's a little too glib or neat for the reality of what a lot of people face because forgiveness isn't so easy or simple. And, uh, and maybe that's why some people actually don't forgive because they hear someone say, oh, forgive and forget. And they think, well, I can't forget. And if they go together, well, I can't forgive. So the only option is to keep holding onto that bitterness, that hurt. Because that keeps coming back. The memories, uh, that, that keeps coming flooding into my mind. And if I can't forget, then I, I guess I just have to stay bitter. Uh, but of course, we can forgive. We must forgive. God calls us to forgive and gives us the means to forgive. But it might mean that we don't forget so easily. It might mean many times, seasons, you know, where the memory comes back, that person comes back physically or in your mind or that situation but if you prayerfully bring them before God he'll give you the grace he'll let you as Jesus said to bless those who have hurt you wow and when you start praying for someone it's hard to hate them and hold bitterness towards them and you'll find the forgiveness flows but it can be an issue that I mean let's face it it needs to be dealt with because there's too many people that have let the pain of the past inhibit their calling and walk with God into the future. And so you do want to make sure you can forgive, but you may need to really press into God for that. And um, it isn't necessarily a simple deal, but it is part of giving, giving our lives to God, giving our hearts into his hand so he can help us, fill us, and the Holy Spirit grows in us and flows through us so that we can forgive. So Peter continues on in his journey. He's giving his life to Jesus. He's learning the culture of the kingdom. And of course, he follows Jesus right through to the end. He sees Jesus die on the cross. He sees Jesus raised from the dead, goes back to heaven. And then on the day of Pentecost, you see the giving of Peter's life starting to bear real fruit because he stands up baptized in the Holy Spirit and he's a different guy. He is preaching with newfound power. And then you read through the book of Acts. He's a pillar of the church. And then we get to this pivotal, this is the third uh, incident I want to look at in Acts chapter 10. It's a pivotal point in the history of church, in human history, because Peter is called to go deeper into his understanding of generosity in the kingdom of God. He's a bit of background you may know. Uh, in about Acts chapter 10, Peter is staying in a town called Joppa, which is still there on the east coast, west coast, I should say, uh, of Israel. And he's staying at a guy's place called uh, Simon uh, the Tanner. And, um, and 50 kilometers or so to the north is a town called Caesarea. And there's a centurion, a, um, a guy called Cornelius, who is not a Jewish person, He's a Gentile, non-Jewish, but he's God-fearing. And he gets a vision from God and he's uh, called to go and ask for Peter. 
So he sends messages to ask Peter to come and visit. And while he's doing that, Peter's also getting a vision. He's up on the house praying and he gets this vision of all this unclean food presented before him. And of course, the Jewish people had very strict dietary rules from the Old Testament, crustaceans, they weren't meant to eat prawns and lobster and they weren't meant to have pork. I mean, praise God for the New Testament. And, um, and so he gets all this food in this vision coming down before him and he hears the voice of the Lord saying, take and eat this food. And he says, Lord, no, 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 that's, that's banned and not meant to. And then the voice says from God, don't say what is clean, don't call it unclean, what God calls it clean because that was considered unclean. And he, Peter comes out of this vision thinking, God is opening up something new. This is, he's, cha- he's saying what was in the past considered unclean or unacceptable is now meant to be acceptable. So he's wondering what it all means. He then gets this invitation, goes up to Cornelius, and when he gets there, this is what we read in Acts 10. Verse 28, Peter says to the people in the house of Cornelius, you know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you've sent for me. Well, Cornelius then tells him about how he was praying four days before and this guy in white clothes, an angel standing in front of him says, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa, summon a man named Simon Peter, staying at the home of Simon the Tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once. It was good of you to come. Now we're all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Look at verse 34. Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. So when you read on, Peter starts preaching to them. The power of the Holy Spirit comes. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. Peter says, well, I guess they're born again. We better baptize them. They get baptized. He goes back to Jerusalem. There's an initial shock and concern about what's going on you're sharing the gospel the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles because until that point it seemed to be it was just a a newfound expression of God's love to the Jewish people it was just a revelation for the Jewish people only but then they all concur that wow this good news of Jesus is for everyone and so Peter then is understanding that this generous attitude of God's kingdom flows through to every part of his life, that even the good news of Jesus, the gospel that's leading them to heaven is for everyone, that as a disciple of Jesus, he is to give this gospel out to everyone, even those he, who he considered unworthy. Because, you know, the, for Jewish people at the time, there's a very clear dividing line between the Jews and the Gentiles. They were the chosen people, the Gentiles weren't. And, of course, today the lines are much more blurred. We, we live in a very egalitarian society. We promote equal opportunity. Even in Australia, we don't have nearly as much class culture as in some parts of the world. But we can all have some hidden prejudice and priorities. And God's kingdom culture is one that includes everyone, that, that calls us to give to everyone, to call calls us to reach out to everyone. As Peter said, 
he realised that God had no favouritism. And so that's an attitude that we need to step into as part of being in God's kingdom. So it means that I need to be generous with my time, with my sense of availability, with my life energy in being a witness and a soul winner for, for God. It, I mean, it's very easy for me to just, and for you, when I say me, I'm being polite. I could point my finger at you, 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 you. Um, but I'm being inclusive. See, uh, so it's very for me, or you, very easy for me, or you, for us to just hang out with our friends, to just circle the wagons, to just only invite the cool people over for dinner. But God calls me to sometimes spend time with people that aren't so cool or friendly or lovable. Remember Gary, the cartoon I showed last week? We've all got Garys in our life, you know. Apologies if your name's Gary, you know, but um, there are people in our lives that maybe. The relationship is is not so replenishing and rewarding. It might be a little depleting and draining. But the kingdom of God is not built on doing deals with relationships, thinking, well, what's in it for me? I'll give this person this much life or time or input as long as I get something back out of it. That's not generous. That's just trading and Make, trying to get a bargain for yourself, do it, transacting, you know. But the kingdom culture says, no, how can I give? Who can I bless? Where can I show love today? And this is our culture, our way of relating to other people, to generously give our life and our time to God, to other people, to reach out beyond the comfort zones that we so easily build for ourselves. And, of course, we should have boundaries should learn to be able to say no so that you don't just get worn out and run down completely. Um, but we should also have a yes in our spirit when the Holy Spirit prompts us and whispers to us and says, go and spend time with that person. Hey, why don't you just slow down? Just stop. Look at that. You just There's an interruption in your schedule because that person needs you. Maybe you should stop and find out what's going on there or offer to help them or not just drive past or walk past. Again, I'm preaching to myself as much as you because some of us are focused and busy and we've got our schedule and Jesus was always allowing himself to be interrupted and I notice that when I read the gospels and I think wow Lord I'm guessing you probably had more on your to-do list each day than I do and you uh, were always making room for people to come and be interrupting of your schedule and so um You know, he calls us to share our faith. And sharing is, of course, generosity. We say that. We say, oh, share our faith. And when you think of little kids in the sandpit at kindergarten, what do we say? Share, share, share your toys. Like a little Tonka truck. And isn't it amazing how kids are not interested in a toy until another kid plays with it? Suddenly. It's like you weren't, you didn't even care. Yeah, but, and then you've got this battle going on because it's mine, mine, mine. You know, and that's, that's the nature of our sin, even at the young age. I mean, Ellen's talking about perfect little Junie, you know, she's five and a half months, the time will come. <gasps> You'll be shocked to think, she's not perfect. She's a sinner. She's just, you know, and when she gets siblings, there might be a little bit of a, it's mine, it's mine going on. So what do we say? We say, sharing. Come on, let it go, give, you know. And so as adults, surely <laughs> in God's kingdom, we can step into that and not stay holding on, but giving our lives. 
Well, Peter's long gone. In two form, he went out with a bang. Uh, you know, uh, he didn't go quietly. Legend has it that, uh, you know, he was martyred for his faith, like most of the early disciples. And um, it's said that he, when he was ordered to be crucified, uh, said, well, if I'm going to be crucified, then do it upside down because I don't want to be, uh, I, I consider myself more uh, debased and humbled than the Lord Jesus. And so do it upside down. And um, I just imagine when he was dying, did he regret those years? Did he regret, regret that decision that he made on the shores of Galilee? Did he think, oh, I could have been back there just living out a quiet, peaceful life as a retired fisherman, you know, sitting around telling fishing stories with my mates? Did he think that that was a bad call, that he had made a mistake? I don't think so. I think he had no regrets whatsoever. Just a sense of satisfaction of a life lived so strongly, so well, so sacrificially, a life given fully to God. And of course, our lives are very different to Peter's. None of us are going to get to walk on the water with Jesus or preach the first sermon of the church or hopefully get crucified upside down. But we can live with the same passion, yeah, the same priorities, and purpose that caught Peter's heart. And that includes that kingdom culture of generosity. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.